Welcome to Story Therapy, a Mythos miniseries exploring the relationship between narrative and mental health, particularly traditional tales as a therapeutic space where difficult emotions and circumstances can be acknowledged and explored. In this series, experts, mental health practitioners, and storytellers will share stories from folklore, myth, and legend, and we will explore to what extent such tales provide space for delving into what it means to be human, delving into what drives us and what challenges us. Enjoy the stories and join the discussion by following Mythos Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And again, I welcome you to Story Therapy, and I hope it is thought-provoking, comforting, and gives you tools for confronting difficult issues. Hello, Mythos listeners. Welcome to episode two of Story Therapy. And we have Lily Ash um, from episode one, the director of Real Talk, which is a social enterprise. And it is an enterprise dedicated to storytelling for mental well-being with a vision of a society that celebrates authenticity around experiences of mental ill health. Um, and Real Talk runs workshops and storytelling evenings, a range of community events. And what we're focusing on now, this episode, is an upcoming online series called Gathering in Grief. Um, And today we are basically giving you a taster of what Gathering in Grief entails. And before I have Lily, hello Lily. Hi. Hi. Um, Before I have Lily actually tell a story, Um, And before we engage in this taster, as a participant of the Gathering and Grief series, I have to say that it is a truly unique and enriching experience. And I would venture to say that it's probably an experience that many of us probably don't even know that we need. Um, If I would say if one feels a bit disconnected, feels a bit overwhelmed with the current state of affairs. And if you just want, I guess, a sense of soul nourishment, then this is most certainly the the workshop to participate in. There's no doubt about it. So I just wanted to say that up front, having participated in the Gathering of Grief um, in the initial webinar. And with that said, Lily, would you like to start with your story? Uh, thanks so much, Nicole, for, for having me and for your kind words. I'm smiling now, but you can't. You can't. <laughs> my hand is on my heart as it normally is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So I'd be really delighted to share a story with you. Um, just take a deep breath and oh, settle in. And for those listening, if they'd like to do that too, maybe just uh, a breath in through your nose. And out through your mouth. So once there was a beautiful land that was in the very rooftop of the world. It had high mountains that reached towards the sky. It had deep green valleys with rivers coursing through it. 
and the land there was rich and fertile. There were birds flying in the sky and the people that lived there, well, they were happy, contented. And this land was so beautiful and rich that people always said that surely, surely trouble would never come to pass. And if it did have to, well, then it would only last as long as the shadow of a bird flying in front of the sun. Interesting words, huh? Because one day, indeed, that trouble did come to pass. See, a big cloud, a big dark bird cast its shadow in front of the sun. And in fact, it wouldn't leave. And by the time the bird and cloud finally left, the sun had gotten so accustomed to being in darkness that it kept itself shrouded up in mist. Now, without the sun, can you imagine what the land would have been like? The grass, it, it no longer grew. And the fruits on the trees, they started to rot. And the people without the sun to wake them up, well, they slept, and they slept, and they slept. The whole land fell into a dark slumber. Now, eventually, there were stirrings in the land. It was the children, and it was the animals. They always wake up first, don't they? And as they stretched and yawned, and they still saw they were surrounded in darkness, they looked at each other, and what, what can we do, they said. How can we get the sun to shine again, make this darkness go away? There was a little red bird that said, I know, I know, what if I sing and I remind the sun of the dawn chorus, perhaps it will remember what it's like to shine and it will want to do so again. So it flitted up to a little branch on a tree and it began to trill. It sang its heart out, it let the notes rise up to the sky and it sang brightly and happily. But it was no use. It was as if the sun wasn't listening. So exhausted, after hours of singing, the bird stopped. <sighs> well, that didn't work. And then there was a little girl. She was looking around at her friend. She said, I know, perhaps if we build a fire and we gather all the sticks that we can and we light it big and strong, the sun will remember the warmth that it gives to the land, and it will be drawn back into being. And so that's what they did. The children, they started to run around collecting sticks, collecting wood, carrying them, and their embroidered cloths that they had around them. And they made a big pile of sticks, and they went to start to light it. And they hit the flint, but it had trouble sparking. I mean, it was wet and it was dark and it took a long time for them to get that fire started. But soon it was roaring and it was casting its light and its heat up to the sky. But again, nothing happened. The sun lay shrouded in mist. Now by this time, with all of the singing and the running around collecting sticks, the adults had started to wake up. And they looked up at the sky and they saw it was still dark and they got angry. My goodness, this is ridiculous, said a hunter, strong and proud. 
this is ridiculous and I will do something about it. And so he drew his quiver towards his side and he grabbed his bow and he said, I will shoot the clouds away from the sun. And so he picked an arrow, he placed it between his fingers, he pulled back and released. And the arrow just went through the clouds and landed who knows where. Just one arrow, said a porcupine. Surely that is not enough. And so this little porcupine climbed his way up to the top of a hill and he said, we need a whole quiverful. And he scratched and stretched and... He released all of his spines up to the sky. And still, and still it didn't work. The sun was there, but it was shrouded in darkness. Now, people were really feeling it. They didn't know what to do. They were frustrated and there was a big bear who roared, pushed people aside and climbed to the top of the nearest hill. The whole village was standing there now. All of the animals, all the people watching this bear silhouetted against the blue, well, darkening sky. And the bear clenched his fist and he jumped up and down. He wanted to yell at the sun, his anger, but... No words came to him, so he just jumped and he shook his arms and (laughs) it was a ridiculous sight. It was a frustrating sight. And the people didn't know what else they could do. Now, throughout all of this time, in a tree, hanging from the branches was a little bat. And the bat was asleep. And he hadn't seen any of it. He hadn't seen the little bird shrilling or the children lighting a fire, the porcupine, the archer, the bear. In fact, he'd been having a beautiful dream. And so this little bat woke up, hanging upside down, and a smile started to spread across his face. And all of the village was standing there, and they saw this little bat waking up. And they saw its huge grin hanging upside down. And in that moment, For whatever reason, it just tickled them in the perfect place. And looking at this ridiculous bat, they started to laugh. And the people were laughing now. They were clutching their sides. They were falling to the floor. The animals too. And their peals of laughter, they rang out through the valley. And they rose up the mountains. And they rose high into the sky. And there, the sun could hear the laughter. And the sun was curious. So the sun made a little parting in between the clouds, and it peeked an eye through down at this village in the valley. And there, a beam of light showed exactly on the bat and its smile in the tree. And then the sun saw it, and it too started to laugh. And as it laughed, it shook off the clouds that had been covering it and keeping it safe. The sun realized that actually it was time now to shine again. And so the light and the life returned to that valley, to that beautiful place close to the sky. And they say that even now the land is still well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
Wow. Hmm. Story is called uh, "The Day the Sun Hit." It's from an area in the the northeast of India, the Sikkim region. Wow. You know, hearing that it um, absolutely makes me <laughs> miss our weekly times together. Mm. Yeah, it really does. I. I I'm just kind of picturing in my mind, um, Lynn and um, Stella, and yeah, you know, just saying their names because you know you. When we listened to these stories together and talked about them, um, yeah, the the sense of connection was really beautiful, and there's uh, I suppose something about you know this process and about. Um, I suppose I would say method. There's something about it that really draws, um, in my experience, some very imaginative and thoughtful and very emotionally literate people. Um, (laughs) So I hear you tell the story and I'm I'm just um, thinking, gosh, I want to go into a breakout room now and talk about it. And I want to, I want to do these exercises where I, you know, just had a moment to quietly consider um, how the story spoke to me. <laughs> like, I mean, so I'm just saying that only because, um, you know, it's been, it's been a few weeks now, hasn't it, since the end of that first, um, that first series. But it's made such an impression. It's such a powerful experience. Um, yeah, so what made you choose that story? So... One of those ones I had come across just in researching and, and for some reason I just really I liked it. There is something quite sweet about it to me. I, I, whenever I tell it I have this sort of sense of feeling quite happy afterwards, which is interesting. But I think it really does also have this this journey within it and these different sort of phases and of, of constantly trying after experiencing something maybe darkening of then trying to maybe get back to something else and Mm. but then also that that's not a straightforward process and actually then where we end up on the other side might be different to where we were when we began um yeah so it just yeah it's it's interesting when you say that because the thing that struck me is that um there's a, a real tenderness to stories like this and to this one in particular because the imagery is really humble um, in many, and, and well, I would say universal, obviously to some extent, because you have a porcupine, <laughs> um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's, it's such humble images and there's a tenderness to it that if I allow myself just to relax and imagine those images in my mind, as you're telling the story, it really softens, it softens me somehow. And but it's it's deceptive in that way, isn't it? In terms of the humble, very kind of what seems simple imagery, that it's deceptively simple. Because I thought um, when you were going through the you know kind of the, the typical stages that many folk tales have, where there's a problem and then there's a variety of <laughs> approaches to um, resolving it. 
So first you have the birds trying to remind the sun of what song is like. And then um, you have the girls building the fire. And I thought, well, first there's the sense that um, there's art and emotion that is used to try to awaken this, this object, the sun, to what it really is. And then you have skill. So you have, I mean, if fire is ultimately a kind of technology, isn't it? So you have like this skill that's used to try to get this object, this being, this sentient being, to realize who and what it really is. And when, when that fails, um, there's anger and force. So there's anger and force that's used both by um, the hunter and, and even the porcupine. Um, so it's not just the human realm, is it? It's, it's sort of like, a, I suppose, this animal, instinctive nature that also uses that force. And none of it works. I find that fascinating that none of it is able to awaken the sun yeah, to what like, it really is. You wonder, like, what's happening there for the sun? It's too cozy, sorry. Or, yeah. It just, and it, well, that's right. When you ask that, that's amazing because I thought, um, because what you said was at the beginning, the sun was so used to being hidden that that became its reality ultimately. And even if it's, I mean, gosh, how does that speak to us? Even if what is real and familiar to us is negative and not nourishing at all. Um, it's the familiarity that makes us come back to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, how often, how many of us, we have those patterns, don't we? We have these realities, um, these viewpoints, these ways of, of thinking and being that have become habitual and therefore reality. And to interrupt that pattern is, well, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, that's, it often, you, you might try one method and it doesn't work. You might try something else and it doesn't work. And then there's anger and frustration. I mean, I, as I'm saying this, I'm like, wow, my story. <laughs> there we are. Um, but I find it fascinating that once there's that point of not knowing what to do anymore and it, you, know, you get to that point where there's this absolutely ridiculous and almost embarrassing display of genuine emotion that has no art that has no skill you know that doesn't have this um prideful force mm. you come to that point and then there's the bat who's smiling and dreaming which i i also find fascinating um that the bat is like this nocturnal being it's a creature of the night it's a creature of of darkness mm. now that's interesting isn't it I'm not sure what to make of that. That is sleeping during this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds hot. Yeah, sleeping is definitely my method. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose if it had been this extended night, then eventually maybe the bat would have been like, you know what, maybe it's time for rest. <laughs> it's been a long time. But I, I, I was struck then, I really like sort of like this journey you're drawing on 
that and, and connecting it into this sort of life journey and, and how we can get stuck in, in well-worn tracks in our own mind and that process of how we how we change that actually it's not always force or external pressure or, or, or encouragement or even yeah it's sort of anger necessarily for me there's something about the bat is quite it's just doing its own thing. There's almost something quite accepting about it. It's like, I'm just here, I'm doing me, you do what you do. And um, and then that is almost the sense of release where it's actually, wow, this is something where we're not all trying to focus on me right now. <laughs> we're actually, mm, yeah, that's <laughs> actually, it's really good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, you know what else, um, when you say that too, what strikes me is that this is, a vast environmental change, isn't it? It's, uh, if the sun is hiding itself, I mean, the entire reality of the, of the people involved, um, their circadian rhythms and their ability you know, to grow crops and like, everything that sustains life and all of reality is altered, um, which I find interesting because, again, I think, I mean, you could, I, certainly you can relate to this and many people who have uh, you know, struggled inwardly with something that feels so vast that it just seems like an unsolvable, unhealable problem or mm. wound. And it's, it was the vastness of the problem too in the story that it, it actually, it, in my gut, funny enough, I didn't think this right away, but in my gut, I had that brief memory of how anxious and overwhelmed I would feel in the face of my own issues, um, you know, with depression and anxiety mm. and how I just absolutely couldn't imagine or feel any other reality. Yeah. And then maybe there's this sort of scramble when you are in that space and it is so uncomfortable to try to do something perhaps, or if you don't, if you aren't able to do something, then, to be mired in the sort of guilt or shame of it, which is mm. also not helpful. But, and then when I think of the story of that, actually, that seems what everyone's doing. They're kind of almost panicking. They're like, wait, okay, you do that. You do that. Okay. Let's just keep trying what's happening. But it, that almost needs the time. Like if that first thing had worked, it wouldn't have maybe given enough space for shift. I don't know. Or, or <laughs> it obviously didn't give enough space for the sun to then feel ready, feel connected, feel mm. interior process had happened. Oh, that's a good point. And it makes me think too that um, how often it's actually even difficult to recognize the problem. Mm. So it, it, it's interesting because I think, well, the problem here is that the sun was covered. That was for them the ultimate issue mm. was that you know, the sun's rays weren't coming down on the earth and doing what those things normally do. And there was some, it, what's interesting is that with all of these different solutions in the beginning, there was at least the recognition of what the ultimate problem was. And that was that the sun itself had forgotten who it was. Mm. So even if it didn't, well, I would say this, even if it didn't seem to work, you know, my, I, what I'm realizing about this story that's really beautiful is that 
the things that didn't even seem to work were actually a part of the process was because yeah. inherently in them was actually it's the sun that needs to wake up this they were viewing the sun as the sentient being it wasn't just a thing <laughs> that needed to be fixed if that makes sense that's that's interesting mm. i wonder if there are any parallels we can draw to the time we're in now then as well i suppose because there's this sort of beautiful mapping that there is on the sort of journey one might go through of yeah I don't know dealing with a mental health struggle or a process of grief um and then I wonder of this of this time particularly of all the yeah the things we're trying to do and the arrows we're trying to shoot and the fires we're trying to light and still kind of waiting to see what will work yeah and I'm you know and it's which is a fascinating um, parallel to draw simply because you don't know that they'll work. They seem, it's the best thing you've got in the moment. Mm. And yeah, that's a good point, Lily, because then if that's the best thing you've got in the moment, genuinely, then that's the thing that you do. And we all have to live with ultimately the uncertainty, don't we, of whether or not the thing will work. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a tough reality to live with. Um, But I feel like what stories like this remind us of is that perhaps resources um, that really will yield, you know, the abundance that we desire, the healing, the warmth, you know, all the things that the sun represents that perhaps is to be found in wholly unexpected sources. (laughs) Mm. Because I was not expecting the bat ending, I have to admit. Yeah. And as well for me, I was as struck as I think about it now. And it's funny because even as the teller, it's only then when you enter into this process yourself that you're really starting to unpack and then look at it because you kind of intuitively might be drawn to a story and not go through this uh, this journey uh, always of, of of really looking deep, deep, deep. And I was struck by the community element as well. Like there was the unexpectedness, of course, with the bat, but then there was this sort of banding together of all like with the animals and the children and the adults. And, and, you know, even though they were all doing different things, it felt like it kind of built this momentum of actually, wait, we all need to be invested in this and we're all sharing. And then the frustrations when it's not working and, and then we're all just a bit, okay, exasperated and, that seemed quite powerful. Um, I did not notice that, but that's a really good point. Hmm. That's it's funny that you know the bear on the hill. Again, it's it's it would be almost a little bit embarrassing if you were <laughs> if you were the person on a hill shouting and jumping and shaking your arms and having no words for the situation. It's so elemental and so honest, and suddenly everyone, you're right, communally enters into, you know, that, that space of just saying, well, shit. (laughs) 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 We don't normally allow ourselves that you'd think, oh man, everyone's going to look at me. I'm standing on this hill, but it was like, goes up there. He's like, no, I'm angry. (laughs) 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 Oh, that is just lovely. (laughs) 
I do um, want to pause just for a moment and say that um, this is certainly, it's a small taster um, of two people talking about the story. And the insights, just kind of going back to the um, first workshop that I participated in, if you multiply that <laughs> by what, you know, six-ish, because <laughs> um, we had about 12, didn't we? 12 people total. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have insights that you never would have considered. And it's not just an intellectual experience. Do you mind if I talk about that a bit? Is that okay? Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not naming anyone. <laughs> just me, actually. Um, it was interesting because I don't want to give it away, but I'll just say the first story that you told Lily um, to introduce the idea of grief and how obviously you were going to be using story to kind of guide us through those feelings. Mm-hmm. The first story you told, it was, we had a wonderful time around it just in terms of the discussion and, and everyone involved was just so down to earth and um, it was, it was a beautiful experience. But interestingly, I, about a week later was going for a walk and I was really, really struggling, um, particularly with like, uh, when I'm really anxious, just my eating habits go awry, like really bad. And I even get like stomach problems because of it. And, and I was really struggling with that really because my gut issues get nasty and, you know, they, they, I can operate in life, but definitely not joyfully. <laughs> um, but I was walking and I'm not kidding you. An image from the story that you had told the week before came into my mind and God, I wouldn't even say my soul and my heart. It just leapt into me to the point that I stopped in my tracks. And there was this dog walker behind me that had to go around me because we were kind of, um, you know, close. Um, and I was so arrested and I had such an immediate um, kind of understanding of why I was doing that, that there was just this real lifting, this real sense of freedom um, from, you know, that issue. And of course, you know, our engagement with stories and story imagery happens in a variety of ways. I mean, that's a more dramatic one for me. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a really powerful thing to have images and plots and characters and discussions with real people um, about things that are, are deeply human. And yeah, it's, it's almost like this internal resource, I suppose. So wow. yeah, if you take what we've just done, <laughs> what Lily and I have just done, multiply that um, with a variety of personalities, um, even cultural backgrounds. And, um, you know, I remember one of uh, the participants was Italian and uh, he had another ending in an Italian version of a story you told. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made it even that much more powerful. So yeah, that was such, such an amazing experience. So I definitely um, highly, highly suggest. Um, Lily, did you want to talk about anything else or do we want to talk about the series a little bit to give people information? Sure. Yeah, I guess just, just quickly to to go off lovely sort of anecdote story that you shared um 
it makes me think of this uh, phrase. I'm not, I've heard it recently and I've heard it a few times. I don't know who said it, but this idea that if you name it, you tame it. And this sort of sense of being able to become articulate about what is happening within us. And sometimes that can be quite a scary or vulnerable process. And I think then that's where the power of story comes in, of having this, this third space to, to explore through the imagery, through the characters, through the action, um, things that then feel meaningful to us. And I, like yourself, I was just always struck by how many different perspectives there were and each person would pick up on a totally different part and be like wow this was so interesting and it meant this to me and everyone was like whoa I didn't even notice that Um, which was really really cool and it felt like the group really was able to resource itself and each other um which I guess for me felt really special because it's something that is new this series that sort of created in response to this time and, and thought well actually will this be um what will this be like? How will it be? And it it just kind of went above and beyond any, yeah, any any expectation. Um, so that was really special. I'm really grateful that you were there, a part of that that first first group. And I and I guess for those listening, to give a bit more maybe a sense of the logistics to make that a bit clearer. Um, it's a sort of weekly meetup. This time it's going to be on a Wednesday, Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30. It's going to happen online. So wherever you are, one can take part. It's on Zoom um, if you have access to internet. And yeah, it's, it's just about journeying together through the different possible emotions of grief. And I, I ended up using the stages of grief as, as the kind of frame for the process. So the sort of six stages um, from the Kubler-Ross cycle and I guess just to say that that is only helpful in the frame not as a sort of linear demarcation of this is what you will and have to experience but more just as a helpful entry point to explore some of the possible feelings and um and yeah it's a powerful process of meeting and we have some creative writing exercises I'll share a story we'll then do breakout groups where we discuss and then come back together to to unpack what what we felt, what we experienced. And yeah, I suppose the invitation is there for you. If this feels interesting and you'd like to join to, to come and be a part. And I guess you can find out more information. I'll say on our website, which is www.realtalkproject.org. And you'll click through to the online series, but, and it has even, yeah, everything written out if that is your, preferred mode of uh, understanding and you can also find tickets there excellent yes so i highly recommend the experience um so again that's uh realtalkproject.org um and in fact you i think at the very top of the homepage is the um yeah the button (laughs) for the gathering and grief series so click on that (laughs) get the information yeah it's um I also want to say that I think oftentimes we can become so busy with the practicals of life and what we deem as the necessities uh, that we forget that we're probably a bit depleted, um, that we don't notice uh, emotional states perhaps creeping up. And I would really, if you're feeling a bit low or disconnected, um, 
to really give this a try because it is a unique experience. And I'm certainly myself looking forward to um, further experiences like this with Real Talk. So again, that's um, realtalkproject.org. And um, what are the dates, Lily? Oh, yeah. So it's going to start on July 8th, next Wednesday, and it'll last for six weeks, which means that we end one, two, three, four, five, six on the 12th of August. And just quickly to mention, I was, I was thinking there as, as you were speaking that, yeah, it's welcome to anyone who feels cold and there's no grief too big or too small. It doesn't have to be anything to prove. It's, yeah, you're welcome as you are. And also, um, to call any men that are listening into the space because um, yeah it isn't as balanced yet and it would be nice to have representation from all all sides all angles <laughs> excellent well thank you so much lily um yeah when you are coming up with any future themes i will certainly be a part of those um, experiences that is for sure and again please sign up um do it quickly <laughs> because it is brilliant thank you so much for the story and for your time Lily I really appreciate it thanks for having me Nicole this was a pleasure